1: Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. It's the
0: Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at. Like a b and with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter.
4: Hey, welcome into All Ball, the All Basketball podcast here for you on the Herd Podcast Network. Make sure you download, you subscribe and you rate us. We got over 100,000 downloads just last week. Let's get that number up to 150,000 downloads. I'll give you a couple of my thoughts, get you into some great interviews, some interesting uh, perspective on the NBA and um, maybe a couple of college basketball thoughts as well. Kind of interesting what has happened with um, with Condoleezza Rice? Here's my read on Condoleezza Rice deciding to do a 180, or maybe not a complete 180, more of a 90 or a 120. Saying after the night, after the commission released their findings on uh, college basketball, only now she comes out and says, "Hey, I think I should be, you know, able to be compensated for their name and likeness." Two parts to it. One. She wasn't the entire committee. This is Condoleezza Rice's thoughts as opposed to the committee's findings was, well, their findings as a whole. Secondly, I, I think <laughs> we've gotten to this place where no one wants to be unpopular. That's it. No one wants to be unpopular. It's an unpopular narrative to say guys should be compensated, should not be compensated for their name and likeness. It's an unpopular narrative. Sorry. Because I college basketball coaches have told me that. Hey, look, man. I don't really care if they do, but there's so many. We have a near-perfect system. We have a really good system, and we're going to try and find perfect out of it. It just doesn't exist. You're going to open up a whole new can of worms. Last week, I was at uh, University of Kansas, and um, Kansas obviously somehow embroiled a little bit in the FBI stuff, although they're not accused of any wrongdoing in the most recent FBI details. But what's fascinating to me is here's Kansas— one of the top five programs in the country, historic uh, Fog Allen Fieldhouse. They produce one and Dunn's and sometimes two, three, four, five and Dunn's. And I watched Devontae Graham, who's just what an amazing career he had from a guy who originally committed to App State, getting out, sitting out an extra year, coming to KU, going from being a combo guard and a bench player to a star, starter and a star, and then the point guard this year on a Final Four team. Like, what an incredible career. And you know what he was doing when I was there? He had an autograph signing session in Lawrence, and then he had one in Wichita, and I would guess he was going to bag twenty-five grand or so. And, and so the idea is, like, look, it, at the very, very top, the top of the heap, because the only people who's, who we think their name and likeness is really valuable is the guys at the very top of the heap. They're so well compensated, if you will, they, they don't really need the autograph session. They have MacArthur Hall right next to the gym. MacArthur Hall is a basketball dorm. They do have regular students in it. It has a three-quarter court basketball court, has a full-time chef, has all this other stuff. They have that. They have a brand-new locker room. They play in the best arena in the country. They have cost of attendance. They have uh, a beautiful practice facility. They have everything you could ever want. There, you never, there's, You're never wanting for nothing. Nothing for nothing. And if you want to say, and like, look, what's fascinating to me is, Guys like Jay Billis, who has had an amazing career after his Duke career finished, right? Played professionally some, came back, was a grad student, got his law degree from Duke, is a practicing lawyer, partner in a firm, and is uh, the lead analyst for ESPN. Jay Billis went to school at Duke for seven years without ever opening a checkbook. And Jay Billis, as good as he is an analyst, he's very, very good. Those doors would not have been open had he not played at Duke. They're not, um, Jalen Rose, who 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 offered up the completely nonsensical. Oh, they should boycott the Final Four. Like, dude, Jalen, who's you know he's on Get Up, he's on the NBA. He had a he had a good NBA career. Jalen Rose is known to the world because he was one of the two great players in the on on the Fab Five. Actually, one of the three best players in the Fab Five. Juwan Howard's a great player too, but he's like. Think of how many kids are named Jalen now. Why? It's not because of Jalen Rose when he's playing with the Pacers, you know, or with the Bulls. It's Jalen Rose was the Fab Five, dude. He was popular, and we made him popular. But what's what's fascinating to me is this whole idea of, well, it's not, you're not allowing kids to choose, you know, one school above the other. Why can't you just do free market? It is, it's one, it's not a free market. NBA is not a free market, by the way. You can't just pick on a whim where you go. There's the collectively bargained agreement. Now, if you want to say they don't have any collective bargaining rights in college basketball, that's fair. Uh, On the other hand, all of the rights they do have would be what they would be fighting for collectively. Limited work hours, 20 hours in season, eight hours out of season, you know. They have four now. They have four-year scholarships, and oh yeah, by the way, postgraduate scholarships. If they leave their scholarship early to go play professionally, they can come back anytime, be on full scholarship, and be on the floor as a coach. Like the the benefits are ridiculous. And if you say, well, it doesn't allow colleges to compete, why can't? Of course, they compete. They compete with facilities, with academic help, uh, with how they promote you, with who they play, the conference they play in. You know, look, if you if you're good enough as a basketball player, you're. Do you want to go play at Duke, play for Mike Krzyzewski, who has a litany of coaches in college basketball and in the NBA and all these other NBA players, and the commissioner of the NBA is a Duke alum? Or do you want to go play at Kentucky? They have their own kind of set of here's why you would play at Kentucky. Or do you want to play at UCLA, where you become a name in the city of Angels? Do you want to play at Arizona, where you become a part of what they call a player's program? Do you want to go play at Indiana, where you're part of history, and wearing the candy striped pants like they all have their It's no different than choosing between jobs. But the idea that, well, they, players don't get nothing, don't get anything. Anyone who's been through it knows that's not true. Anyone who's been through it knows that, first of all, getting into college is really hard. We never calculate the cost of just getting in. <laughs> and like for Wendell Carter's mom to say, well, this is like it's only like slaves. Like, no, it's not stop it that's that's embarrassing it really is it's embarrassing i mean to get into duke going to duke is a choice Wendell card didn't have to go to duke and all we did was promote duke and their four freshmen and grayson allen is a senior uh she they end up getting they they it gets you gives you credibility that you played for mike sheshevsky that you played for duke that you played in the acc you get to play in in cameron indoor stadium all these are choices that you make slaves didn't have choices They just didn't. They didn't go like, oh, hey, you know, I want to transfer from this slave owner to that slave owner and still be on scholarship at the time. They didn't say like, oh, hey, listen, um, this slave thing. It was cool for a year, but I want to go play in the pro slave. Like, come on, dude. what, What are we talking about? You get an unbelievable opportunity to make a name for yourself while getting an education. And you might not value education, but that's on you. And to all of these people in our business, you are you're embarrassing yourselves because, you know, the reality of it is college basketball doesn't make all that much money for universities. Doesn't it makes money for the NCA, which pays for all their other sports. And while you may that may be envy, you may be envious of it. it's like the whole thing is a non not for profit, non profit deal where no one pays taxes on anything. And all of these things that you get in real life, you're like, well, it's like a job. Sure, I'll tell you it's a job. Limited work hours. But here's the big thing. You don't pay taxes. And to people who say, well, that's not a big thing. Bullshit. (laughs) I pay taxes. Have you ever moved for work and they pay for it? Do you know what happens? You got to pay taxes on it. Have you ever gotten your health care taken care of by your employer? Because that's what happens in college basketball. You know what else you have to do? Pay taxes on it. You get academic services. They're free right now. Your employee? got to pay for it. So, any of these things you get, you get gifts. Like if you win on the prices right and you get a gift handed to you, you don't have to pay tax on it, right? The same thing would happen if you opened it up and made pay for play. Same thing. Pay, pay tax on it. So, taxes are a big thing. The, the cost of admission is a, a good thing. Um, and we don't charge anything for the cost of senseless and seamless promotion. We don't. You ESPN made Trey Young and his unbelievable run to being the leading scorer and assist man in college basketball. He was part of every headline. Did that help them boost their numbers? Some. But it also made Trey Young a household name in college basketball. If anything, he should owe money to them, not vice versa. So, look, um, I know that you're raised in a generation of people that are, are, are wanting and expecting for everyone to always give them something. But here's the deal with college just like any other student. If you achieve something great in college, you have a great chance at an awesome first job. That's the same for athletics as it is for engineering. Colleges uh, are harder to get into, more expensive than ever. Um, By the way, that is the same with basketball, but not the same for basketball players in terms of they they pay pay nothing and actually get more back in return. Um, Lastly, and maybe most importantly, you do realize that college students not only have to fight to get in, but then once they get in, they got to pay the freight and all that paying the freight. Like if you say, well, you know, I know they say Duke is $75,000 a year, but I can get a You can get scholarships for 25 grand. Okay, fine. It's 50 grand. That's 50 grand post tax. So a, a parent has to just to pay for their kid to go to Duke. <laughs> you got to make 80, 90 profit, 80, 90 gross in order to net out the 50 grand that you're going to pay out. <laughs> oh, and the second you walk away from your school as an alum, you know what they're gonna do? Hit you up for more money. So I, I know that 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 we we have that we've we've raised a generation of people that expect others to just you're making money, I'm supposed to make, but that ain't the way it works, dude. That ain't the way it works. You know, you can think that. You know, here's the here's the best example I'll use for me personally. People, guys in a radio, and many of you listen to this podcast. I want you to. Search your soul for how difficult it was for you to get your first job, first on-air show. How hard was that? Wasn't hard for me. I never took a broadcasting class, never took a journalism class. I'm not a journalist. I know the some of the laws of journalism. I studied some of it. I learned kind of fake it till you make it sort of thing. But I'm not a journalist. Many of you went to, went to J school, and your first job was making twelve an hour. Your first job made twenty five grand a year. You had to grind through that, and then hopefully grow. My first job was I made 60 a year before endorsements in Oklahoma City end up being about 75 plus the money I made from ESPN. I was in the six figures without ever having. Why is that? Because I played in college. Made a name for myself. Used their promotion to benefit my brand. Period. That's the opportunity that's in front of you. And. Most of us as former athletes, and Jay Billis knows this, and Jalen Rose knows this, and Jay Williams knows this. All these people that walk around and act like, well, you know, they're getting more out of the deal. No, they're not. No, they're not. Schools have been around for hundreds of years. Right? Yes, football is the driving force, and the volume of college basketball games is the driving force, but the ratings are not great. It's, it's a more volume product. But the people who go, people who watch and go to college games, are people who went to that school or live close to that school. And maybe they learn about a player along the way or while being recruited that they fall in love with. That's a very small number. Go into any college basketball arena and look around and say, why are these people at that game? Alums, that's what they've always done. They go with their dad. They're from the area. Kids from in-state are there. It's more regionally based or based upon the heartstrings of having gone there. It's not based upon any one kid. It just isn't. Johnny Manziel's is perfect example, who will continue to benefit from being a Heisman Trophy winner and having, when he graduates eventually from Texas A&M, a Texas A&M alum. And yeah, could could did they sell some jerseys and and make a little bit of money, a little bit, but they didn't make any money the year he redshirted, not a penny. And Texas A&M's stadiums have still been full. They were full before he got there, full after he got there. Why? Because Aggies go to Aggie games. Period. So uh, I'm not saying that we shouldn't do our best to give a quality education so that guys, when they finish going to college, can't uh, you know provide for themselves. Sure. I, I think there is some sensible discussion about it. But this idea that like, oh, I can't I can't capitalize off my name and like this, you absolutely can. For the rest of year. Your life, you can. Your life. Everything you did in college. And thankfully, things you did in the pros end up benefiting you when you wear the logo of your college going forward. All right, let's get to the NBA, shall we, as we get ready for the Western Conference Finals. To me, the key element becomes Clint Capella. Can he stay on the floor on defense when the Warriors go small? You know, the interesting thing about the Warriors is they get credit for having the death lineup, and they do. The difference in their death lineup is that their center becomes Draymond Green, but they still have a rim protector in Kevin Durant. Now, look, Durant hasn't started the year playing great defense and then took a good portion of the year off of playing defense. Reinvigorate. They need Draymond to hit shots. They need Andre Godala to hit shots. And they need Kevin Durant to not just make shots but also defend the rim. I like uh, the golden state warriors a little bit more you know like look in the individual matchups if you can and and they do a great job of forcing switches but you know i like the matchup of clay versus uh versus james harden S- steph curry is i don't know how his way but he's definitely dominated chris paul in one on one matchups and then who's the who's the other guy if you will for the houston rockets that's going to match up with kevin durant i don't love their matchups Again, it's dependent upon Draymond and Andre Iguodala to um, to make shots to keep that floor spread. But I do think that this matchup favors the Golden State Warriors. As for the other matchup, I look, I, I think that the two elements that are going to allow the Boston Celtics to be closer than, say, the Toronto Raptors is that they can throw multiple defenders at LeBron. The problem with those defenders are, with the exception of their big guy, you know, look, like Morris... And Al Horford, they can guard him some in the post. Um, and so he can't play bully ball when they go small. Secondarily, you'll have Jalen Brown. You have Jason Tatum, but they're so young. I just, I don't love that matchup. Now, here's the part, the other part that allows the Celtics, I think, a chance. Rozier off the bounds. Jalen Brown off the bounds. Like those guys, they have, even a Marcus Smart who doesn't always hit shots, they have an extra gear that Cleveland defensively doesn't really have. And if Brad, which I think he'll do, can expose Kyle Korver as a mismatch or Kevin Love as a mismatch and attack them, attack George Hill against some quicker, more athletic perimeter players, like I think you've got a real chance of seeing at least a longer series. Still favor the Cavs. It's not just because of LeBron. It's because this team is a bunch of shooters around LeBron that have hybrid defensive players that are just good enough But they'll have a game or two in which they blow out the Celtics. I think the Celtics will win a game or two based on speed and athleticism. And then you have LeBron, who you feel like can carry a team. Although, you know, look, he didn't shoot the ball well from three against Toronto. And they were outscored on aggregate by the Indiana Pacers. I think the series is closer than people think. But I still think we'll have Cavs and Warriors in the finals. David Griffin joins the show. He was famously the general manager of the uh, of the Cleveland Cavaliers last, and uh, he has his own show on SiriusXM and NBA. It's also on NBA TV. He joins us on the Doug Gottlieb Show. I know everybody has you on to talk LeBron and the Cavs. I want to ask you about the Sixers. Uh, there are some in, in your business, some in my business, and some in the basketball business that think, hey, go out, add a Paul George. Go out and add stars. I I kind of think they're on the right path. I think this is good that they, they didn't use Folts. He wasn't ready yet, but eventually he'll be good. I'm not saying that you don't add more pieces, but I think this should be your core for a decade. You don't want to screw that thing up. Do you try and win in the short term, or you try and win in the long term? If you're the general manager of the Sixers, David.
5: Well, I I guess it just depends on how you know what you think long and short term is. So like, if you can say that LeBron's gonna Play at an elite level for let's say five more years I- i'd love to have the young kids learn from someone like that you know i'd love for him to raise the next generation of elite talent in your organization so there's no downside to that it's not like they need to jettison any of the other talent they have Um relative to the paul george piece i don't think that's terribly likely it sounds like paul if he leaves okay, so he's pretty much got his heart set on l.a um, what I think is interesting is, would you break up that nucleus to bring in two somebodies? Because that's really the only way you're going to attract you know, those elite guys. Is they tend to want to be together. So would you break up that group to have Kawhi and LeBron? I don't, I don't know if you would or wouldn't, but I, I think that's what it requires now. It's not just we have the cap space for one superstar. Those guys tend to want to be together. Would you? You know, I don't know. To be honest with you, I really don't. It's hard for me not holding the cards they're holding. I, I don't know exactly what they're thinking about the group they have. The thing that I thought they ran into in the playoffs that was tough, Doug, was Ben can't shoot. Yep. And because he can't space the court and because the paint is going to be occupied because Joel is an elite player himself and the defense is going to be pretty keenly aware of him in the paint then the driving lanes that Ben would have to take advantage of and that would allow for him to play to the full bandwidth of his passing don't exist so I think it's just really really difficult to say that that nucleus is going to be elite until you know if Ben's gotten to the point where he can shoot um, and that's that's a ways away and Markel Fultz might be a ways away from being able to be elite so I I think you could make a pretty compelling argument if you could get LeBron, you should. But uh, again, I don't know what they're looking at. That's
4: that's, uh, that was actually, I, I said the only, the only guy I would probably move mountains for would be LeBron James. The, the one caveat with LeBron is he's now at the state of his career where he doesn't practice. You know, he, he does work in his game and his body, but he ain't, he ain't practicing. And I do think that, you know, culture-wise, those young guys. I mean, Ben Simmons got a, a lot of work to do, a lot of work to put in, and I, I, I think Embiid has to learn in game situations. You know, what what winning shots look like, winning plays look like, and I think you only learn that over time and actually playing in big games. I hope he learned a lot from this series, but I don't know. I, I just I think it's going to be fascinating to see what they do because they got a chance to do something special. But there have been other teams that have been in this situation. And they've screwed it up, whether even even if they didn't try to, they have screwed up and haven't been able to, as opposed to what Boston's done, which feels like they've been building for the long term. And the short term thing has just happened in the meantime.
5: Yeah, I agree with that. And I think it makes it even harder to be excited about your long term term nucleus when you're looking at the fact that Boston's as good as they are. They're as deep as they are in the playoff run. They've got the young assets on the roster they have. They have all the high variance assets in the in the stockpile from a pick standpoint, and the guy that came into the year thinking was going to be their best player didn't even play a minute so you can also get in trouble just in their own division if you think you know what let's let's take our time we're we're going to be the cream of the crop because boss is going to be damn good for a long time, so if you take your time and Joel Embiid gets hurt in the meantime, now what i mean you're you're not really truly elite even in your own division for the foreseeable future so that's why i think you could make the most compelling case for hey we don't know how long Joel's going to be healthy and we better be damn good now it's interesting what you said about lebron not practicing that part's true but he's the very first one in the practice facility every morning and he works like a freak and there's nobody better to teach ben simmons what this is about professionally than him, whether he's actually taking part in the five-on-five that might take place. He's still going through all of the shell drill. He's still going through all of the defensive stuff. And he's far and away the earliest person into your practice facility, getting a lift in, doing the things he needs to do to take care of his body. When Kyrie was there going through shooting games with Kyrie after practice, all of the things that Ben needs to learn how to do, Bron does that. And then in the off season, Bron works way harder than Ben has ever worked on his shooting, and that would help Ben as well.
4: Do you think Ben should shoot right-handed?
5: <laughs> so this is awesome. I've seen a lot of this. The thing for us with Tristan Thompson when we had him change his hand was it it was just his handedness was sort of up in the air. He himself didn't know which hand he should use. He wasn't married to one or the other. And we got him to throw a football one day in the practice facility. And when he threw it left-handed, which in theory would have been his natural hand, he threw it into the ground like I would throw with my off hand when I was eight years old. Right. I mean, it was, he just sort of flailed it into the ground left-handed and right-handed. He threw like a 60 yard spiral and you went, Tristan, you're, you're right-handed. So if I could see Ben Simmons throw a football, I'd have a better chance to tell you which well, look, which one is more Well, but Ben
4: Simmons—he shoots everything right-handed inside the paint. The only thing he does left-handed is free throws and and perimeter shots, and he doesn't shoot perimeter shots. You know, he finishes everything with his right hand. So I, I, you know, I don't. Uh. Well, and Tristan was exactly the same. By the
5: way, the, he he was incredibly deft with his right hand around the rim. The only jump hook he could make was right-handed, but he was shooting his free throws left-handed, and he would shoot. Like the you know the short corner jump shot left handed and kind of like what are you, what are you doing? Whatever made you think you were left handed to begin with. In Ben's case, again he can do all of those things right handed, and maybe that's because he's more naturally comfortable with it. But it could also be that that's just he's wired like that. And it's easy to tell, by the way. I'm, I'm I know this sounds crazy, but it's easy to tell when you have somebody throw a football.
4: The, the, the throw the football challenge. I love that. Let's get to the Cavaliers. Um, Have they figured something out, or is this just who they're going to be, right? Which is, you know, they're going to space you with, with Kevin Love at the five, and now that Kyle Korver is much more comfortable and he's making shots, just create space for LeBron James, play through him, and play with a bunch of shooters, and then, you know, switch everything defensively.
5: Well, it's sort of who they've always been. Um, you know, we we had Kyrie at one time, so when the shot clock would run down, he could go get a shot, and he could create offense when LeBron sat down. They don't have the ability to do that now, but they've always been a team that if you're going to take advantage of LeBron's full talents, you've got to be able to space the court and let him pick people apart from the center of the lane by being a driver and then making the right read and. Fortunately, in the last series, you know the team had a three to one assist turnover ratio, which is a really, really good situation. It's in part because of LeBron, but it's also because George Hill was present for a big part of that. And George Hill being healthy and being capable of, of playing significant minutes and starting makes it possible to keep Corrigan, J.R. Smith, and Love all together in the starting lineup. And those are the guys LeBron's won with. Those are the guys he's comfortable with. So. Fortunately for Cleveland, that first series with Indiana took them seven games, so they got as many different opportunities as they could to figure out lineups and and figure out where LeBron was going to be the most comfortable. And I think because of that, they they landed back with what they know best, which is the guys they're starting. You get Tristan Thompson, a lot more opportunity to play. You know, this is one of the things I think from uh Basketball analytics standpoint is is really a telling thing, and I don't know what the number is, and I would love for somebody significantly smarter than I am to tell me the right way to do this. But their effective field goal percentage on Tristan Thompson's offensive rebounds has got to be damn near eighty percent.
4: Yep. Well, this is just back. And, those just backbreakers, right? You're like you're you're, you're Garden Lebron, your Garden shooters. You're paying all attention. All of a sudden, the shot goes up. You start leaking out defensively, and there's Tristan Thompson with the ball, and he kicks it out. Now either you have to do it all over again or they shoot a three, which is those are backbreakers.
5: Yeah, and if you, you know, if, you, if you look at Tristan when he plays significant minutes, that's five opportunities you have to make four more threes. That's 12-point swing. That's winning and losing basketball games. And he also is your best big in terms of his ability to match up on the wing and switch and defensively be a present. So it's not surprising to me they wound up with him. I think it's a good thing they were healthy and that he was healthy enough to actually get back into the rotation. But I think this is who Cleveland's always been. They're going to have to outscore you. They're probably not going to get enough stops to beat a team like Golden State four times. But I I think they can get enough stops to, to get past Boston.
4: What's, what's the deal with Brad and the rest of the league's coaches? I I, I understand that there were a lot of good coaches that did, Quinn Snyder did magnificent things. Uh, look, Toronto had the best record in the East. Like, I can make an argument for a bunch of these guys. But there is something there that other coaches are like, eh, he gets a little bit too much credit.
5: I think we did it. Like, from a media perspective, I think we did it. I, I think it's one of those things where other coaches have probably had enough of Brad getting nothing but love and never taking any of the blame. Um, and I, I don't mean that Brad personally doesn't take any of the blame. I mean that the media never assigns him any blame. Um, and I, I think it's just made it so that there's I don't want to call it petty, but I think the petty's undefeated in some ways. And I think there's just a the natural bias to feel like, you know what? I'm not sure he's that good. And I, I think it makes you more critical of Brad as a coach because you're hearing from everywhere how good he is. And I, I think Dwayne Casey was a great selection as Coach of the Year from the Coaches Association standpoint. That's I totally get it, and I'm not even going to argue with it. It has been Quinn Snyder. I wouldn't argue with it. But for eight guys to get a vote and Brad not to get one, that was pretty crazy.
4: Am, am I crazy to think that, that Capella is super important to Houston, yet I don't think Capella can be Capella much of this series because they'll go small. And now he, kind of like Valanchunas, what happened with him with the Cavs, uh, Golden State stretches you out, goes small, and Capella becomes a lot less effective. Yeah,
5: so I think he's so different from Jonas because he defends in space so well. Um, I think Clint is actually, if Houston's going to win the series, it's because not only does he hold his own when they go small – but his ability to roll and finish and be dynamic at the rim forces them to stay bigger. If if Golden has to play a traditional five to check Capella, that changes the whole series. Agreed. Now, I tend to favor Golden State pretty heavily, I think, just from the standpoint of them having been through the wars together, and they're now at a point where they realize the amount of focus they have to play with to be successful. I think they have appropriate fear of Houston. You know, Kerr really hinges a lot of what he does from a preparation standpoint on that appropriate fear, and I think they get it. And I think because they do, they're just too deep and too good offensively. There's too many weapons that you can't take out of it. And in the Houston situation, they're so dependent upon – You know, they they play two guys defensively in Tucker and Ariza uh, and Tucker and Bamute when they're together. That defensive lineup is really predicated on Harden and Paul either generating offense or Harden getting you to the foul line quickly, that he gets you into the bonus and you shoot far more free throws than anybody else. Well, the deeper you go into the playoffs, the less likely you are to get those calls, which means it might be harder to keep your defenders on the court and if that's true, you're never going to guard Golden State. So I think it's a five- or six-game series of close games, but I, I think in the end, Golden State's just got too much.
4: Great stuff. I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Look forward to hearing you some more on SiriusXM, watching on NBA TV. Thanks for being our guest. We'll talk to you as the playoffs roll on. Thanks, Doug. Talk to you soon, man. All right, pleasure's mine. David Griffin joining us, former general manager of the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, Rick Bucher has a great podcast. It's called The Swirls with NBA vet Ryan Hollins. Rick also has his own national radio show on Sirius XM. 80, gosh, we're 83. He's 84, 82, 82, 82, anyway, ding,
6: ding, 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 80, 82.
4: Hey, wait, 82, Rick Bucher well joins us on the Doug Gottlieb show. Uh, just as we all thought, Celtics and Cavs, Warriors and yep. Rockets. Oh, there's this, this one plot twist. Uh, The Celtics wouldn't have Kyrie and wouldn't have Gordon Hayward. Outside of that, exactly as we thought it would go.
6: Right. Yeah. No, it's, uh, and this is what always gets me when people say that, uh, you know, there's no suspense in the NBA season and uh, we already know it's going to be Cavs-Warriors at the end. First of all, we don't know that. I still don't know that as of right now. And two, it's not so much the destination it's the journey isn't yes. it doug yes. it's the journey and it's a matter of how we got here which was uh, there's been plenty of unexpected twists and turns and i wouldn't be surprised if we have a few more before all is said and done
4: why don't other nba coaches have the same affinity for brad stevens as the media <laughs> has for brad stevens
6: well, part of it is because he's still relatively new to the club, and NBA coaches are a very clubby sort. We just I, I said something about Nick Cronin, uh the UC. coach, during the tournament. I thought the way he handled uh, some questions about his team uh, were it, it, he didn't do it well. and uh, brought that up with Seth Greenberg. had him as a host uh, or a guest on my show. And it was immediate. Well, you don't, you don't, you don't know what. Like, where have you coached? Like, where, that, they became that unless unless you're a coach. Yeah, but that's but that's, but that's
4: Seth. Right? That that's that's also Seth 101, right?
6: Well, it, but it's also it, he's not alone. I mean, I, the 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 number of coaches that I talked to, and look, there is a degree, and probably a, a larger degree than not. There's a larger degree of truth to people who uh, armchair coach don't take into consideration all the things that they know because they can't possibly know them. So I I get that. But I think there's a couple of things. One, and I actually just had a talk. I had a conversation with a, a, a head coach in the league today about this subject. It wasn't, this wasn't the main thing, but I said, I said, so what's up? You know, Brad Stevens, not a single vote. And he said, the way he looked at it is, is, you know, Brad came in and he was supposed to have a good season. And, Yes, they lost Kyrie. Yes, they lost Gordon Hayward. But the team kind of ended up where everybody expected them to end up as far as the regular season was concerned. Toronto made a change from last year, and there was an uptick. So that was his explanation. For me, and there's also there is that feeling like he's kind of been gifted a really good situation, and he's straight out of college. I think the other part is is that there's this clubby nature to the to the nBA coaches, and they're very well aware of guys who've been in the club for a long time and may be in a little bit of trouble and and they look at it and they think it's unfair that that guy's in trouble. Dwayne Casey fits that description to at uh, as far as other nBA coaches are concerned
4: It's a great point. What's also interesting is how many of the guys have gotten the Coach of the Year award and then been fired like a year later yeah. right. And- which yeah, which, which only proves that in their effort to help their buddy out, they actually yeah. end up you know well cre- creating something that they can't live up to. So
6: the one thing, so the one that you're you're, you're referencing because this is a this is a relatively new award. This is only the second year. Last year it was D'Antoni and Eric Spolstra that the coaches selected. They were co co head coaches, and they sort of fit the profile. Even though Spolstra's been a head coach, he's been relatively what nine ten years now, but He's been in the NBA fraternity for a long time, so he fits, and obviously DeAntoni does too. Um, This is a relatively new thing for them, but the one that's voted by the media, yeah, we had a string of Mike Brown, Avery Johnson, George Carl, mean, it seemed like there was about five or six guys in a row that won coach of the year, and a year later, they were out. So, yeah, it can be it can be a kiss of death. Be careful what, uh, exactly what they're, they're touting their guys to be.
4: Do the Celtics have a chance? I'm picking them
6: to win. What are you talking about? Do they have a chance? Why? Because I look at the pace of play, and I look at the intensity of the series that they had with the Sixers, I think, and I may, be, I may be wrong on this, and I may be undervaluing the sweet spot that LeBron James finds himself in. But I look at the Raptor series, and I can't, all of the improvement that we're looking at with the Cavs, I can't help but believe that the Toronto Raptors had a big hand in that. They never really made LeBron James play in a crowd. And yet, in spite of not putting additional int- uh, attention toward him, Jeff Green and J.R. Smith, now this is going into Game 4, We're both shooting 70% plus in three-point range. Jeff Green shot 31% against the Pacers in the first round. He shot 31% from three during the regular season. Uh, J.R. Smith shot a little bit better during the regular season, but he shot 31% against the Pacers. I look at guys like Terry Rozier and Jason Tatum, Al Horford, Marcus Smart, those guys in my mind are all gamers who are not afraid of LeBron James or the Cleveland Cavaliers. In fact, they come into this series thinking they have revenge in mind for what happened last year. They don't care that Kyrie Irving's not there, Gordon Hayward's not there, and, and that they're not supposed to be here based on what everybody else thinks. They're looking at it going, we got back to the Eastern Conference Finals and, our, and, our, and we still have unfinished business. So I just believe that they can push the tempo in a way that Toronto never did and that Indiana did that took that series to seven games. And if you're giving me Miles Turner or Al Horford at this point to make things difficult on Kevin Love, I'm taking Al Horford every day, all day, in spite of liking uh, Miles Turner and his future. So I just think that, that, that Boston is going to do a much better job of limiting what the other pieces do and LeBron James is going to have to come through with some of the virtuoso performances that he did against, uh, against the Indiana Pacers. And I, just, I think that the, the Celtics are a little bit better than the Pacers were. And they have the same guys that have the eye of the tiger and aren't going to be afraid to take and make a big shot when needed.
4: That's the voice of Rick Bucher, who, of course, uh, writes for Bleacher Report, has his own radio show on Sirius XM Channel 82. Let's get out west. Golden State Warriors, they back to where they should be?
6: Uh, Well, yeah, they are back to what they are capable of. My one question is, can they sustain it? They've demonstrated that in periods, they can play, they they can get back to that level, that, that they can play at a level that nobody else can play at, at both ends of the floor. They still have, and they've still struggled, even in these playoffs, in sustaining that. You know, giving away a game, absolutely giving a game away against New Orleans was troubling. The way they closed out San Antonio was not convincing. They they really, they are measuring uh, (laughs) game in and game out, how hard they have to play to win the game. And I don't think it's by overconfidence. I don't think it's by lack of attention to detail. I really think it's just kind of the physical and mental grind of having been to three consecutive NBA finals and now trying to get to a fourth uh, and, and, a, and a bench that's not quite as deep that they're just feeling, they're, they're feeling that grind. So can the Rockets exploit the Warriors when they have those periods when they're not at their best, when the offense gets a little stagnant and they just lean on KD? when the defense rotations work for 14, 15 seconds, but they get a little lax in the last four or five. Like, can the Rockets exploit that? And then on the other other end, can they maintain their focus and intensity? That, to me, is what's going to determine this. The Rockets have demonstrated that they can take their foot off the pedal, too, and they have less reason to do that. But... Um, that I, I'm, not, I'm not completely out of the woods with the Warriors yet and saying that they have the requisite ability to play as well as they need to play as long as they need to play. Can they get back there and have they demonstrated that yet? Have played some of the best basketball that I've seen them play in months. But the big question is going to be can they sustain it? How many minutes can they play at that level?
4: Sure. Um, what do you think LeBron plays next year?
6: you know it's so funny i just in talking to this coach today he goes i've heard he's going to play in philadelphia i've heard he might stay in cleveland uh obviously there's there you know there's talk about like Kawhi wants to go play in la with paul george and lebron um i i'm i am going to stay with where i was at the beginning of the year and everybody was telling me which is that he's going to wind up in la but i'll be honest with you as of right now I don't I, I never had a dog in the fight but I really don't know. I still don't think he's going to stay in Cleveland. I he remember the other day, I forget what game it was when he went to the locker room. Oh, he had the he had the um the cramps and and had to go to uh the locker room. And when he came back out and he walked out of the tunnel, he walked right right by Dan Gilbert and there was absolutely no uh, acknowledgement recognition nothing from either one of them i wasn't even dan wouldn't even look at him and certainly lebron wasn't looking at him you can't from everything i've heard that's just the latest little piece of that relationship is far from great and i think ultimately that's going to be the difference
4: maker. well that would be super super uh, The the paul george knee surgery thing did everybody know that was going to happen
6: Uh, no, they did not. But, uh, from everything I've heard, it's not something that people are, you know, taking a a lot of, uh, concern with, or that it's going to, it's, it's changing the dynamic as far as what people are expecting.
4: Russell Westbrook, uh, look, Zach Lowe, and and I want to make, be very careful because I I like Zach Lowe. And I Mm -hmm. do think that other people around the league will say, We'll say that, like, well, maybe maybe you got to think about trading Westbrook. But thinking about doing it and actually doing it are two completely different things, (laughs) right? And and it's always the guy who doesn't have a Russell Westbrook who talks about trading a Russell Westbrook. Right? What do you think Oklahoma City does?
6: What what, do I? uh, What do I think Oklahoma City does with Russell Westbrook? In general, Um, continue to thank their their stars that he signed a five year extension there. Uh, look to uh, to find pieces that are going to build around him, and 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 ultimately um, hope that his maturity and his decision making continue to improve. That will will Billy point,
4: will Billy be able to like? I think that bringing Billy back, the yeah. next thing to do is sit him down, and go like, "Hey, Billy, you got to coach him. Like, you have to get some of the stuff out of him because he has so much talent, but you got to yeah. get some of the one man possessions out of him."
6: Yeah. And I don't, you know, I will say having been around that team a little bit uh, and just recently during the playoffs, I was encouraged by the interaction that Billy had with Russ. And it is a negotiation as opposed to, you know, a directive when it comes to the, the conversation between those two. Um, then again, I thought that Billy showed great. I mean, it seems simple, but The fact that he sat mellow down and kept, you know, and and went back to him briefly, and then didn't go back to him again, I I think that says a lot about Billy's uh, growing stature as a uh, as an NBA head coach. I I think that what they they, in in short, short of moving Billy on, and I don't think I don't know that there's a coach out there that's going to change that dynamic. Is that you go get a what Tom Thibodeau was. For doc rivers or what ron adams is for steve kerr uh you go get that guy who is a no-nonsense x's and o's this is how it needs to be hard ass who is the first assistant and he's the guy who is you know let's russ know this is the way we've got to do it um some people mentioned, like, a, a Steve Clifford to me. It doesn't have to be like, you know, I mean, obviously you got a star of that nature. It's not you're just going to tell him it's my way or the highway. That, those days are long gone. But a guy whose X's and O's are strong enough that he can say, this is the way we need to do it. If you want to win, this is the way we need to do it. And ideally it's somebody who has, you know, has had a certain degree of success that Russ is going to, to respect. But ultimately it's going to come down to this. Russ is going to have to be frustrated and fed up enough with his own shortcomings and failures to say, I'm willing to try to do it a different way.
4: Surrender yourself to the process. Thanks so much, Buick. Really appreciate you joining us. You got it, Doug. Rick Buker, the podcast is the swirl with longtime NBA vet, Ryan Hollins. All right. So that's going to wrap it up for all ball. I want to thank all of our guests, David Griffin, Rick Buker, Next week, we'll start to prepare you for the NBA draft. I'm currently concocting an article, the 10 most overrated, 10 most underrated players in the upcoming NBA draft. If you have any questions or things that you want um, in the next All Ball podcast, tweet at me, at Gottlieb Show, or hit me up on our Facebook page, which this will appear on. Make sure you not only download it, rate it, and of course subscribe but you also tell a friend about it because we're over 100,000 in downloads we want to get to that 150 want to get to 200,000 and you can help it'll make the show better frankly it'll make the guests even better although they were great this week i'm doug gottlieb and this has been all ball
3: to start listening.